I love that. I love looking at the stories because I know a lot of the stories, and some of y'all know the stories behind that. A mother who's dealing with chronic, just that never-ending pain, but yet she declares that it's not going to hold her down. It's not going to shackle her down, that she will overcome. I love the story of, of looking at that and seeing three brothers fully alive that a year ago at this time were near death. A near-death experience uh, for, for them, but yet God has kept them alive, and, and they will overcome, and they are living well today. There's so many stories wrapped up in there. Uh, we got the homes that just went, that, that went off years ago to Bozeman, Montana, and have helped start a church out there. Our first family to go out from us, just a beautiful thing uh, to, to see and to rejoice in and to think through. But every one of them, and you have your story too, every one of them has a story to tell about how grave, how shackles, how um, things could hold them back. And we are here today to celebrate the freedom of life that comes, listen to this, that comes out of death. Now, that may seem a little bit strange. You don't celebrate death or life out of death. Don't we celebrate life into death? But what we have today in our faith is we, what we're celebrating today is that death may be there. Death is a reality, but hey, by all means, what is greater is life that comes out of that, and we want to celebrate that today. I, t- I t- tell you a story to kind of illustrate this, that whenever I was uh, just out of college, took my first job, if you will, as in sales, it was a good experience for me to, 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 to try this new, new thing out, and as I was trying out this sales life, learned a lot uh, from that, and uh, one of the things that I, I had, I had this young 20-something-year-old, maybe right at 20, maybe 19 years of age, she was my little assistant, okay, and she was a little assistant, I'm not trying to, uh, she was just small, and she was this cute, bubbly girl who bounced in and out and, and, and did her job and, and all that kind of stuff, but she came in one day not so bouncy. She came in with a down face, she came in all discouraged, she came in with all that kind of stuff, and she came in and she just sat down. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, it's biology. I thought his boyfriend broke up with her. I thought it was some kind of drama like that. No, it was biology. Well, I get that. I mean, I can't pass biology uh, in my life. And so I, I get that. Biology will make anybody uh, nauseous and, and down and depressed. Uh, and, and I said, did you, did you fail a test? Was it a, was it a project that didn't go so well? What was it for you? And she said, no, I found out some bad news today. I said, oh, really? What was the bad news? And she said, mind you, she's 20 years old. She said, I realize at 21, I'm going to start dying. I said, do tell. At 21, you're going to start dying. And she says, well, my metabolism is going to change and my skin cells are not going to reproduce like they used to. And all this kind of stuff and all this drama had depressed her because at 21, she was feeling as if death was approaching at her door. And the reality, and all of us woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and saw a new bulge, a new sag, a new spot, a new hair that needed to come out or be colored one. And uh, we faced the reality of our own mortality on a regular basis. What do you do with that? How do you live with your own mortality? Mark Twain said it like this, the fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. We want to talk today about your dying. 
okay? What a, what a blessed topic to talk about on this. But like I said in the beginning, I propose to you today that because of the resurrection, that we are not talking about death and death being the end of life, but death being be- the beginning. And in a spiritual sense, we die today so that we might live forever. Death initiates that. Christ conquered death. Death begets life, not life begets death. We need to get things and switch them around and understand that in a deeper meaning. And I'm not just trying to be some kind of wordsmith up here, trying to do some kind of dance with words. I want us to think deeply about the impact of the resurrection. Take your Bibles and look at the most densely packaged chapter in all the Bible on the resurrection, okay, from verse 1 to the very end. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be there, and we're going to look at this concept of not our mortality, that's kind of a morbid thought, but I want to talk about our immortality and the fact that we do live forever and that we will go on. Yet this question, this issue of death and dying is something that we must address. Augustine said it like this, I'm deafened by the clanking chains of mortality. Shall we live again, Plato asked. I hope so, but no man may know. This is a question, again, again, not a, not a warm, fuzzy feeling question that you want to deal with on a regular basis, but it's one of those that I think if we look at life in light of the resurrection, it brings life from death, not life to death. And in 1 Corinthians, I think we'll see this quite clearly, very quickly, when we look at verse 50. So 1 Corinthians verse 50, chapter 15, verse 50, I tell you this brother's flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now that right there should be enough that we should dwell on that one. That simply me living in the flesh, simply me dying and being a good soul individual on the planet will be enough. No, there's not good enough to just simply live. Nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you, a mystery. I love a good mystery. Here we go. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet, and the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable. And here it is. This mortal body put on immortality. Let's not talk about our mortal existence, our, our, our existence that will end. Let's talk about our immortality, the fact that we will not end, that life does go on and we can have that assurance that hopefully, as Twain said, we can be fully alive. And as we're fully alive, we're able and being ready to die in this body, but yet be fully alive for all eternity. When you look at this passage, we see, again, this about the resurrection of Christ. When you think and you consider the resurrection of Christ, what, do we, what can we learn? If we take off our lenses and we put on the lenses of Jesus, and we are to see life through Jesus' lenses, through His resurrection, what do we learn? I think there's, we learned several things about life and death and immortality. One is that Jesus didn't fear death. He faced it. He went towards it. In fact, Jesus wasn't concerned about people dying, if you notice in the narratives. You know, there's Jairus' daughter, and there's the widow of Nan's son in Luke 7, and Jairus' daughter in Mark 5. And then take your Bibles and look at John chapter 10, or John chapter 11. 
you're in 1 Corinthians, we'll come back there in a moment, so you might stick your finger there or whatever, and uh, we'll be back there. But in, in, in John 11, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. You might know of it or heard of Lazarus, this guy, this friend of Jesus. They had a deep relationship. There was a there was a connection between the two. And Lazarus at one point was sick and Jesus was not there in Bethany where he lived. And Lazarus was very sick to the point of death. So the sisters gather around. They go find Jesus. They say, Jesus, your friend who you love, he's about to die. I want you to notice. Now, now again, bear with me. If you believe the Bible and you believe what it says, and you believe that when it says that Jesus loved Lazarus and Jesus was friend of Lazarus, I want you to notice the lack of urgency inside of Jesus whenever he finds out his good friend, whom he loves, is about to die. Notice this. So here we go. We go in verse uh, chapter 11, verse 3. It says, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. Hold it. Again, you know the rest of the story. Lazarus dies, right? But Jesus said this illness doesn't lead to death because Jesus saw things beyond just simple life on earth. He said it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There was a family connection here. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer. What kind of friend is that? The man who, uh, who, who raised Jairus' daughter, the man, the man who could wait, raise life and put life back into death? Why is he waiting for Lazarus to die? He could have spoken a word and Lazarus would have been healed. Instead, he doesn't even get in a hurry. See, death doesn't bother Jesus. There's a reality that well beyond this life is there an existence and well beyond this day is there, is there meaning. But also, Jesus knew that he had power inside of him to give life into death. He goes on in this same chapter, chapter 11, verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. See, I'm the key to whether someone lives or dies or someone lives again. I'm the answer. I am who I am. See, we learn from this that Jesus is not only the creator of life, but he is the curator of life. He is the one who can sustain life and keep life going. Hey, wait just a minute, Mike. Let's stop here then. Why did God take someone that I love very dearly so soon? Why have I had so many miscarriages? Why has my fill-in-the-blank, whom I love dearly, why did they die? If God was all loving, and He surely wouldn't let that person die. And I tell you what, I stand before you today, and I wish I had answers. As I have stood before at the heads of many, many caskets and many, many funerals, some, my earliest funeral was when I was 19 years old. What does a 19-year-old know about death and dying? I hadn't even been to college and had that class yet. What was I going to tell anybody at a funeral service? 
Well, what is a 23-year-old? Is how old I was when I stood at the head of a casket of an infant that had only lived a few days. And a single mother at the foot of the casket was weeping, crying, what am I going to do? What does a 23-year-old pastor have to say to something like that? Death is, a, is, is morbid, it's consuming, it's, it's controlling. Metallica drummer. Uh, probably the only church in Northwest Arkansas that's going to quote from Metallica today. <laughs> Lars Ulrich said it like this. The last thing that I have been able, unable to control is my quest to control everything around me is death. I can control so much, but I have no control over death and life. See, here's the problem. We have the wrong perspective on life. We see life as this one-act play where I am the actor and I am in the center of my story in my life and I am this one-act play and I'm going to play my heart out and there might be some supporting actors around me, but at the end of each year, I want to win the Academy Award. I want to win the honors. But sometimes my supporting actors do better than I do. But here, anyway, they might get the supporting actor award. But, but as I live out my life, I pray that I can control my curtain call that I can control my own destiny and that I will be the hero of my own story. And all of a sudden, so few of us know when our show gets canceled. So few of us have control over when the curtain falls. That's how we view life. You know how God views life? He views life as this beautiful, amazing biography, this beautiful, amazing story Not our biography, but his biography. And we are not the directors of it. He is the director of it. And he writes us into his story as supporting actors to his drama. And we get to be a part of his story. It is simply a privilege to be called a child of God and that he would choose me and put me into his story. You see the difference between the plays? and the dramas, and the narratives, and the stories. God is writing a story, and He's including you. It's not some back alley drama, not some one show act. It's a story of His glory, and you're a part of it. And it doesn't just end when the curtain falls here, it goes on. Again, remember, the one who is the director of the story is the very one who is writing the story and will keep our lives with meaning and substance as we go on and on. Death is a reality, and we cannot control it. Two years ago, I went to Portland, Oregon to to be a part of a moral moral service for my cousin who died with such a strange disease. And it was just not supposed to be as he leaves behind a widow and two children. I don't know what it's called, but I have a dear aunt who, I'm going to call it Parkinson's disease. It's not. But it's some form of a debilitating, slowly taking away her motor skills and taking away her life. And we spent yesterday afternoon with her with the family and had a great time sharing stories and laughing and, and all that kind of stuff. 
the last time she was at my house, she took me into my study. She sat at my desk, and I sat across from her. And she said, and this, you got to know my aunt. She so, told me, you're doing my funeral. And every time I see her now, I can't get away from the reality that I'm watching her life pass away. Now, their story doesn't end there. The story of God's glory is beautiful and it has a future for her. Now, I may not see it on this side. The chapter may end, but it's not a period. It's a comma. It doesn't end completely. It only ends as I see it and I know it. It's not the end. It's the end of the beginning in her life. Number two. When you look at the life of Christ, you see that he didn't simply encounter death, but he conquered it. And this gives us confidence and assurance that as we go through life, that there is nothing that we can't conquer. Just like the drummer from Metallica said, I can conquer everything, I can control everything, but I can't control death. But when we look at Christ, and he in this, in this beautiful, powerful way, overcomes what nobody can overcome. Die and never die again. This, this sarcastic little song almost. This kind of jeering song that must have been sung in the early church because of the rhythm and the rhyme of it is how we know that. And it's in 1 Corinthians, verse 55. It says, oh, death, where is your victory? It almost sticks its fingers up in the air, rubs its nose at death. It says, where is your victory? Well, death, where's your sting? See, when Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross, he took the sting, he took the death, he took the bite, he took the venom, he took it all so that there could be a continuation of his story in us. Think, Mike, I, I, I can't put my arms around the value and the reality of, of this day and why this day is so important. And listen, if it were not for the resurrection, the worst day of your life would have been the birthday of your life. I want you to think about that. If it were not for the resurrection, the worst day of your life would have been the birthday of your life. That birthday, that resurrection changes everything so that I can live. If that resurrection doesn't happen, this is what 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 19 says. Uh, it says, if Christ has not been raised from your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Those, who, uh, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, if in this life only, if this is all we have as the good stuff, we are of all people most to be pitied. But here, my friend, I stand before you and I believe with all my heart and I give my life to this message and this song and this mantra and this belief and this story that God rose from the grave. And that it is significant enough that it changes everything. It changes everything. No, no, no. He, he just swooned or he just passed out. Listen, Romans were professional killers. They'd been doing it since the 4th century B.C., crucifying people. They knew what death looked like. He wasn't stole. He wasn't stole. He didn't swoon. He died and went into a grave and he came back to life again. And, and, and it's been proven again. Luke records it in Acts chapter 1 verse 3. And he presented himself alive to them after suffering many proofs, uh, uh, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
Now think about it with me. And let's get logical. Because some of y'all here today, I know, you're, you're, you're going along to get along. All right? You're here because it's Easter. You're here because you're supposed to be at church. You're here because your spouse said, let's go. All right? You're here. You're going along to get along. But you're not so much into this whole resurrection thing. <laughs> you don't know about that. My friends, let me say, this is so significant. that there, Think about it for a moment. There wasn't just a brief appearance. There wasn't an illusion. There wasn't hallucinations going on here. For 40 days, Jesus is on the earth. For 40 days, he's meeting with people. He's eating with people. He's with people. It's not an illusion. It's not some, somebody fabricating something up out there. Listen, in one account in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, it says he appeared to 500 brothers at one time. Now, you might fool me, and you might fool this section over here. No offense. But you're not going to fool this section over here. You might fool some, but you're not going to fool. Hey, we, don't, we don't even have 500 in this room. You're, the reality is, is so many people saw him, touched him, walked with him, heard him. There was a man, and he died, and he rose again, and it's a game changer. There was a, a professor at, at Oxford University in 2001, a Richard Swanberg. You can read about this. You Google it this afternoon, and you can find the article in the New York Times and, and all that. And here's this philosophy professor. Now, he, he's from Oxford University. I'm, I'm assuming he didn't get his degree from a Cracker Jack box. He's probably a legitimate thinker professor, okay? So let's just give him that, that credit. So if he is a legitimate thinking professor, and he is trying to sort this all out, what is the reality? Is there really a chance that anybody could rise from the dead? Think about it. This is what he said in his own words, published in the New York Times. For someone dead for 36 hours to come back to life again is extremely improbable. I agree with that. But if there is a God of the traditional kind, you mean, if there's somebody who made the universe, if there's somebody who created all the natural laws, if there's somebody, if there's somebody that did all of that, then just maybe those natural laws can only operate because he makes them. So what this professor did is he took and he developed, or he didn't develop, he used uh, this theory of probability. And he tapped into Bayes' theorem of probability, and he laid all the facts out there. He looked at all of the evidence. He looked at 500 witnesses. He looked at the credibility of the witnesses. He looked at the likelihood of somebody being alive and dead in 40 days and all that kind of stuff. And he said, what is the probability of this happening? When you measure it all up, he said there's a 97% probability that this resurrection account happened. I personally, I think I love the study. I love the affirmation. I didn't need that. As an eight-year-old boy growing up in a little country church on the other side of the county, I heard this story about this Jesus guy dying and coming back to life. And I thought, if this is real, as an eight-year-old boy, what, what, what have I done? I've, done? I've dealt drugs in the sandbox? I mean, what, what has an eight-year-old boy done wrong? You know, but I realized I needed a relationship with him. And my mother, who's sitting on the front row down here, took me home to 717 North 5th Street in Rogers after that day, and she prayed with me. 
And she brought in a reality about from Romans chapter, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. It says it like this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And it was that reality that I could believe and I could trust and I could confess, and that would be a game changer in my life from that point until this day, then I wanted that. What about you? Is your life, are you confident in this resurrection one? Have, have you realized, are you trusting, are you confessing? You know what, you can believe in a lot of different things out there. Let me just give you a little bit of hint. Go with the dead guy who lives again. Muhammad's not alive. Buddha's not alive. Joseph Smith's not alive. Go with the dead guy who came back to life. Because he's got something figured out. He's got the mortality, immortality, tension figured out. So the beauty is about the resurrection is we learn that we can face death and not fear it. We can walk headlong into it and not be afraid of it. That's why I can continue to sit down with my aunt and we can continue to laugh together and create memories together because I realize that though death may be very soon for her, it is not final. Is it final for you? Will your life have a period or will it have a comma? The third reality when you look at the resurrection Christ is that he didn't, he didn't live to die. He died that we might live. There's a lot of people in this world that know how to make a living, but they don't do so well at making life. Did you hear that? There's a lot of people who do really well at making a living, but they don't do so well at making life. So I did a lot of reading about different famous people this past week that have died. I read quite a bit on Steve Jobs and his philosophies at the end of his life. Another one that I read about was Howard Hughes. Died in 1981, very, one of the wealthiest men whenever he passed away. A, an eccentric man to say the least. When he died, he had at his disposal 15 people at his beckoning call. 15 people. 24-7, around the clock with him. Three of those were doctors, nutritionists, people around him to take care of him, to care for him, to be there with him, to help him. Security was around him so nobody would kill him. Again, he was a very eccentric individual. But when he died, he did not die of natural causes. You know what he died of? One of the wealthiest men in the world of malnutrition. He died because he didn't eat. Because he was afraid that if he ate, he ate the, eat the wrong thing, he would die. And he didn't eat, and he died. Statistics are amazing. One out of every one person dies, okay? You can either eat or not eat, but you're going to die. I say eat. <laughs> Some people know how to make a living, but they don't know how to make a life. We measure our life so much by, by, by a dash. Think about it. You go to any graveyard today. I, this is a good field trip for your family this afternoon. Go to a graveyard and look at the tombstones. You'll see a name. You might see a little graphic art around it. 
you'll see a date that they started, you'll see a date that they ended, and right in the middle is a dash. That describes most people's lives. Is the length, the span of their life is this far. They went, they started here and they ended here. Let's not just measure this. Let's measure the width, not just the length of our life. When you look at this story and you look at this account and you look at Christ, he helps us to live a quality life. The resurrection helps us to live this quality life that we might be wise in this. Now, I just discovered an app. Now, this is, again, just a, my, 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 my crazy thoughts sometimes. When you don't have anything else to do, you go find an app. So I found this app, and this app counts down or counts up your days that you've been living. All right? Counting up days, not years. When I got the app, listen to this, I just missed my 17,000th day on earth. Literally, like, like, four, by, by like four or five days. Had I known I had lived 17,000 days, I would have thrown a party and you would have been invited. <laughs> and now to, for me to make it to 18,000 days, it's going to take me two and a half more years. But be, hey, hang around. I'm going to throw a really big party when I turn 18,000 days. <laughs> Think about it. Do you measure the quality of your life by the hours, by the days? This is what the scripture says in Psalm 90 verse 12. It says, teach us to, the re- the, to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. See, we, we often push Jesus' promises of life to eternity. But he says, right now, I want you to count your days right now. I want this day to count right now. I want you to make it count right now. I, I, want, I want there to be a full life in you right now. I want this to really mean something. Next week, we're going to start a new series of messages called Mistakes. We all make them. We're really good at them. Sometimes we make mistakes and can't get out of them. We're going to talk about six mistakes you never want to make over the next six weeks. And we're going to look at the, the book of Malachi. So just, you go make your own list. In fact, this is what I want you to do. If you have your, your worship guide out today, I, there's a blank on there. And I want you to think about the biggest mistake you've made and regret in your life. Now, if it's a person and they're sitting next to you, use code languages, okay? <laughs> Draw pictures, write backwards draw an arrow uh, or something like that, all right? So be thinking of your big mistakes. And how does the resurrection, what's Easter, what's the resurrection have to do with any of this? The last verse of the most densely packaged chapter in the Bible on the resurrection ends with the word therefore. I love it. Anytime you see therefore, you ask wherefore, therefore is therefore, all right? So he says, therefore, because of everything that you've learned about the resurrection, because everything that you've learned, everything that we've said, what's he say? Therefore. Now I've got to find it myself. All right, here it is. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Listen, what is the result, what is the effect in my life, in my day of the resurrection? 
is that I should be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's a quality life. That's a life that I can go to my grave and when the curtain falls on my life and the critics speak of my life at at some eulogy somewhere, that when my life is spoken of, it will be, I pray, oh, I hope and pray, that Mike was steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He always did what was right. He always listened to God. He walked with God, and when the world shook around him, he didn't, he didn't shake with it. He stood strong. I could always go to Mike, and he was steadfast. I could always count on him as being a man of integrity. I could all... That's what happens when the resurrection impacts our life. I want you to look at your life today. And what kind of story are you? If you're a book, what kind of book are you? I want you to think of your life in this way. Your life, this life that you're living right now, whether it's 45 years, 55 years, 65 years, 35 years, or 25, wherever you are in the spectrum and whenever the curtain falls on you, I want you to see it like this. It's only the preface. It's only the preface. It's not even the heart of the book. It's not even the final story. It's only the preface. Now, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not belittling the preface. Anytime you find a book, you should read the preface. And you should read it because it gives you a good picture of the rest of the story. My question to you, if your life is a preface of the big story, the grander story, the God's story that God is writing you into, if He's doing that right now, does your story, does your preface... Does it reflect God's story? Does your preface reflect God's story? I want my life not to be a one-act, off-Broadway play where I'm the star of the show. I want to be a preface to the story of God that's being written, and I'm a part of it. And I'm a part of it not because I willed it that way, but because I realized the God who loved me came and wants to write His story on my heart, His story on my life. And my life would be more about Him than about me. That would be a beautiful story. Not a story about me, but a story about Him in me. Always steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You bow your heads with me. I want you to think deeply, privately for a moment. I'm going to ask you a question. Listen, prayerfully listen. Are you a one act play, dreading the curtain falling? part of a story, a grander story, an eternal story, a forever story about God. What a sad tell we will be if the critics write at the end of our life, he lived, he died for himself versus he 
He lived, he died, and he lives on for Christ. If you're in this room today and the resurrection has not impacted you to that level, just where you're at right now, just say, Lord, I want I want you to write your story in me. And I believe that because of the resurrection, you can and you will do that. Father God, you know our hearts. You can't hide it. You, you are enough. You finished the job. The task is complete. You're sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. And one of these days, you're going to come back for us. For Lord, the curtain will fall in this preface of our life. But it's not the end of our life. It's not a period. It's not a question mark. It's not even an exclamation point. It's only a comma to a bigger story, to a story that doesn't end here, but goes on. Because of your resurrection, because of you, Jesus. And I would pray that everyone in this room would know you, Jesus, not as a good man, but as the risen and the reigning Lord God that you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us? Use this time to reflect. Use this time to consider the words of this song. Whether or not Christ has been enough, is enough in your life.